Okay, if you would open your Bibles to um, the book of Habakkuk. Zigel, Amos, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, right before Zephaniah. You will find it. Uh, you will find it on page fourteen twenty-two. Brief review of, of last week. We, we we went through really the history because anytime you you read a prophet, uh, whether it be a major prophet or minor prophet, major being the longer ones, that's the only reason they're called major, and a minor prophet, the smaller ones, is, is it really is it's really important that you read. The historical context or the the day in which they prophesied in order to uh, fully understand and and interpret what they're saying. And and last week we tried to do that. I tried to do that where they had just come off uh, 30 some years of great king Josiah. And in a a moment of disobedience, maybe pride and ego, uh, took on King Necho, the second of Egypt, as he was heading north to assist the Assyrians at Carchemish uh, to, to, to help protect them and against Babylon. Um, and uh, he was killed in, in, at Megiddo, and, uh, which ushered in uh, a, a precipitous, a rapid and precipitous corruption uh, in, in Judah, not just uh, economically uh, or culturally, but, but maybe most importantly spiritually. Um, idolatry was rampant, uh, and in fact, as we looked at Habakkuk, we saw the conditions of Judah at the time that he was prophesying, probably under, under Jehoiakim. If you remember, Jehoiakim was put on the throne by Egypt. Uh, he, he only lasted about three months, uh, and uh, it, during, that time peri- during that time period, Babylon uh, took over. They became the new sheriff in town. And they, uh, they put Jehoiakim on the throne. He was a vassal. Uh, he, he rebelled against them uh, eventually, and uh, they took him into exile where he was killed. And the last king, Zedekiah, uh, was on the throne. All of these kings, evil, evil, wicked men. Uh, it, it seems as though uh, when God wants to judge a nation, he gives them evil, wicked rulers and leaders. Uh, these, and in fact, we looked at many of the conditions that he that he was uh, that he says I have to live in and observe. Uh, chapter one, he said, violence, injustice, wrongdoing, oppression, strife, conflict, a a a, a corrupt law system. You know, the law is ineffective. Justice never emerges. The wicked cheat and take advantage of the righteous. We saw that that that. that to a large extent, this was by uh, unjust statutes and laws. And, and this is the day and age in which Habakkuk lived. And as we talked about last week, basically says, God, what in the world are you doing? Or maybe more precisely, God, why aren't you doing more? How can you allow this? And remember God's response. God said, oh, I'm going to do something about it. But when you hear what it is, you're not going to like it. Because what did he say? I'm going to send Babylon. 
that fierce, impetuous nation. I'm going to send Babylon uh, to judge Judah. And that indeed is not the answer that Habakkuk was looking for. Indeed, how many times have we asked God for something and he gives us an answer. We go, I don't like that one. Do you have anything else that you can, that you can do? But it leads Habakkuk to a second question. In other words, you thought is he had angst on the first issue. He has even more now. Look with me again at verse chapter 1, verse 12. He says, Are you not from eternity, Lord my God, my Holy One? You will not die. Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment, my rock. You destined them to punish us. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. And in my translation, I think perfectly accurate, they say, So, why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? Basically, Habakkuk says, well, how can you do that? How can you use a nation that is even more wicked, as bad as Judah was, how can you use a nation that's even worse to bring judgment? It's interesting where he starts. He starts with reminding himself about who God is. He affirms who God is. And I want you to, I want you to, to appreciate the, the doctrine, the theology, the understanding at this early date that Habakkuk had on the nature of God. It, it makes me wonder where he got this. In other words, did God call prophets because they already had studied and knew all about him? Or did he choose prophets for other reasons, the character, uh, his sovereign purposes? And then they learned more about him through that by God revealing himself? I don't know. But think of the understanding that Habakkuk... And this, by the way, this is really the reason why he was having so much angst. Because he knew who God was. And look, look at what he says. He says, Are you not from eternity, Lord, eternity, Lord my God, my Holy One, you will not die? How many of your translations say, We will not die? Okay. That may seem like a minor point to you, but it's not really. Uh, let me give you a, a quick lesson here. In Hebrew, when Hebrew was originally penned, there were no vowels. Most of us have heard that. There were no vowels, and, and there, were, there were no word spaces. So they were just all consonants that all ran together. And so sometimes in Hebrew, we have, much like in Greek, we have textual variants where we're not quite sure what the word was. Um, and be- before the Masoretes added vowels, we weren't quite sure how it was pronounced. So in, in Hebrew, we have what's kare versus kativ is what is written. All Hebrew words uh, have, most have three consonants. All, every word is based on three consonants. Whatever you do before the word and after the word changes the meaning. So oftentimes, there are, there are words that have the three same consonants, but they're, they're different words. And how you point them, how you put vowels on them, will determine what word it is. So sometimes we have textual variants in the Old Testament because we're not sure what was, we know what was written, but we're not sure how it was to be spoken. Other times in, in our Hebrew text, particularly in Hosea, Hosea is rife with these, where you have words we, that don't make any, they, they, don't, they make no sense whatsoever in the context in which they're found. 
And at that point, scholars have to do what's called conjectural emendation. In other words, they, they have to conjecture what probably should have been said there, and, and they, our translations add those words. That's the nature of translation, folks. All translations have to do it. it fortunately, it's, it's relatively rare, but it's called conjectural emendation. Another kind, though, is what we find here. And this is uh, where the word we is the word found in the, the, the Masoretic text. In other words, in our Hebrew text, the pronoun we is found there. But we have other texts, other Hebrew texts that have you. These are called tikkune sofarim. Okay, Jamie, it's tikkune sofarim. <laughs> What it is, is, is uh, over time, as the, the Hebrew text was copied by scribes, um, there, there are approximately 18 places in the Old Testament where they felt uncomfortable with what the, what the Masoretic text said. And so they changed it. And they always changed it to, to elevate and, 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 and glorify God, not the other way around. And so this is, this is a, a, a location that we call Tikkune Sofarim, which means correction of the scribes. The, the scribes corrected it to you because, uh, or, or they corrected it to we, because they wouldn't want to ever give the impression that God could die. So while some of our translations follow the Masoretic text, other translations, like the one I'm using, uh, Christian Standard Bible, chooses to, to use the Tikkune Sofarim. And here's why. One of the cardinal canons of textual criticism, in other words, when you have two texts and at variance, they use different words, the first rule is which one most likely gave rise to the other one. In other words, would a scribe be, be more inclined to make the meaning of a text harder to understand or easier? Easier. We presume if he changed anything, he would change it to make it easier to understand, whether it be grammar or a word. So in this case, the reason why there's, these are differences. See, this is all free. You know, so we're going to get back to the sermon here in a minute, but this is value added right now. Um, so some translations decided to, to follow the, the sofarim, the, the, the you, and others said, no, we're going to do the Masoretic text. That's why we. Now, if it is we... What's the problem if, if it, when he says, "Oh Lord, you are not you are you are not are you not from eternity?" and the implied answer is yes. Lord, my God, my Holy, we will not die. What's the problem with that? They're going to die. <laughs> he just affirms something that most of them are going to die. What's the what's the tension or the challenge when if if it says you will not die? Duh. Yeah, duh. So here, here's my take on it. I think that when he starts talking about the nature of God, he says, are you not from eternity? You will not die. In other words, he's saying, you are eternally self-existent. We may die. We will die. But you won't. You don't. Because you are eternally self-existent. He is, he is proclaiming the very, the very eternal nature of God. It fits with the first part of verse 12. Are you not from eternity? Aren't you eternal? Lord, my God, my Holy One, you, you will not die. You are eternal. You are eternally self-existent. 
But number two is he says, you are sovereignly active. He says, Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment, my rock. You destined them to punish us. The two key words there are appointed and destined. Contrary to what many preach and teach, God is is not a reactor. God does not... Uh, observe, look down the corridor of time or observe events that are happening in his world and then react to them. And say, well, boy, they've made a mess of things. Let me go in and try to make, bring some purpose out of this. No. Uh, the Bible clearly uh, teaches that God is sovereign and he is in control. And, and we see this here when Habakkuk affirms his sovereignly, that he's sovereignly active. He appointed Babylon to execute judgment. He destined them to... Was it a possibility that on, as they go going through the Fertile Crescent and, and the, the armies of Babylon are marching against Judah, that they go, you know what? This is a bad idea. It's a long way. We're away from our families. Let's just go home. Was that a possibility? No. no. Did they have free will to do that? No. Were they coerced? No. Because what does God say? We're going to see it. He's going to say, yeah, I'm going to use them to punish and judge Israel, but then I'm going to punish and judge them for doing it. And you say, well, that's awfully convenient. Yeah, that's the God who's revealed himself to us. He did it numerous times. He did it with Cyrus. He said, Cyrus is my instrument. And yet, I will hold them accountable. They think they're going to invade. In their mind is conquest and and destruction, but they are really a, a, an instrument of mine to fulfill my purposes. And I think this, again, this text reminds us of God's relationship to evil. James says, what? There is no evil with God, neither does he tempt anyone with evil. But God certainly, evil certainly is within his sovereign realm. He can use evil for his good purposes, and, and in so doing, it is not evil for him to do it. Now, we can't pull that off. So don't try that. But Habakkuk affirms his sovereign activity. You appointed them. You destined them. Which, which was, is increasing his angst. <laughs> As we'll see in a moment. Number three, though, he affirms his purity and his holiness. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. That God is... Pure and holy and perfect. And that leads to his question. So, all that is true. Why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent when one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? Now notice, he places this righteousness relatively. He doesn't say, how can an unjust, unrighteous nation judge a righteous nation? No, he says, more righteous. Are all our righteousness between ourselves and from one nation to the other is only relative righteousness. There is no one righteous, not even one, in terms of our relationship to God. But it's because of all these things. He says, so why, why do you tolerate those? He says... You have made mankind like the fish of the sea, like marine creatures that have no ruler. The Chaldeans pull them all up with a hook and catch them in their dragnet and gather them in their fishing net. That is why they are glad and rejoice. In other words, he's saying, God, are we only fish to be caught and killed? 
Are, are we only sea creatures that have no leader? Must we be strung up on their hooks and caught in their nets while they rejoice and celebrate over it? How can we watch when they, they walk down the streets firing their guns in the air and, and martyring your people and, 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 and killing them and torturing them? How can, how can they do that? Are we just fish? And that is why they sacrificed their dragnet and burn incense to their fishing net. They are emboldened. Their success only emboldens them and, and reinforces the fact that their God is supreme. Verse 17, will they therefore empty their net and continually slaughter nations without mercy? Back it says, I will stand. At my guard post, I will station myself on the lookout tower. I watch to see what he will say to me and what what I should reply about my complaint or what he will reply, depending on the text. Uh, So Habakkuk says, I've said my piece. Now I'm going to, I'll wait for God's reply. And and now God answers him. This sounds a lot like Job, doesn't it? The Lord answered me right down this vision. Clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. Look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity, but the righteous one will live by his faith. Moreover, wine betrays. An arrogant man is never at rest. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, and like death he is never satisfied. He gathers all the nations to himself. He collects all the peoples for himself. Now, this is fascinating to me. This is God speaking. I mean, all of the all of God's word is God speaking. But this is. This is a quotation. This is God almighty speaking. And he says, "Okay, you're going to want to write this down. And you're going to share it because it's going to happen. It's a done deal. And he says, listen, uh, his ego is inflated. And, and when he uses personal pronouns, he's talking about Babylon. Their, their ego, yes, their ego inflated. They're without integrity. Um, wine betrays an arrogant man. Is ne- they're arrogant. They're never at rest. He, he, he enlarges his appetite like the netherworld swallows up the dead. Like death is never satisfied. He gathers all the nations to himself. He collects all the peoples for himself. There is objective evil. There is objective wrongdoing. This is not, well, you know, we don't want to judge one nation over the other. No, there, there, there is objective evil. And God says, I want you to write it down. But in the midst of this, he says, look, his ego is inflated. He is without anything, but the righteous one will live by his faith. It's interesting that this is the text that is quoted by Paul in Romans, in Galatians, and in, by the author of Hebrews. And Paul uses it in a, in a different way than it's used here. How is it used here? Um, well, it seems odd. It seems strange. He's not saying, um, I don't think he's saying about how we are justified. In this context, I, I, here, here's my best guess. I think that what he's saying is, this is my paraphrase. 
The wicked think that all these things are not so. But the righteous will live by believing that they will happen. Let me say that again. The wicked think all these things are not going to be so. That Babylon's not going to come. Or things are so bad <laughs> that, that, that surely this is it. The wicked think that all these things are not so, but the righteous will live by believing they will happen. Guys, when everything around us seems to be in direct contradiction to the word of God, we don't change the word of God. We believe the word of God. And that's what he's saying. We, in this context, he's not talking about faith alone in Christ. He's talking about, will we believe God? Will we believe what he's told us? And in fact, he now outlines what he's going to do. Won't all these, verse 6, take up a, a taunt against him with mockery and riddles about him? They will say, whoa, there are five woes. Hoy! In Hebrew. Hoy! Hoy vey! Hoy vey! Oh, whoa! Woe to him who amasses what is not his. In Habakkuk, how much longer? And loads himself with goods taken in pledge. Won't your creditors suddenly arise? Those who disturb wake you up. They will become spoiled for you since you have plundered many nations. All the peoples who remain will plunder you. I want you to notice all the reversals here. You have plundered. You're going to get plundered. You kneecap people. I'm going to kneecap you. He's talking about extortion and oppression. Look at verse 9, our second woe. Whoa! To him, and I'm sure that's how God did it. Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house, unjust gain, who places his nest on high to escape the grasp of disaster. You know, I, theft and, and greed and stealing and, and, and thinking I get away with it. You have, verse 10, you have planned shame for your house by wiping out many peoples and sinning against your own self. Even the stones will cry out. Anybody, does that sound familiar to Anybody? Who else said that? Jesus said that. Jesus was a prophet. And oftentimes he spoke prophetically. Do you think that when Jesus said the very stones will cry out, they didn't understand and know that he was talking about Habakkuk, this allusion to Habakkuk and, 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 and judgment? Their greed, their, their unjust gain. Verse 12, woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. Is it not from the Lord of hosts that the people labor only to fuel the fire, the fuel the fire of their own judgment and countries exhaust themselves for nothing? This, this, this violence that is inherent was inherent in Babylon. Look at verse 15, woe to him who gives his neighbors drink pouring out your wrath and even making them drunk in order to look at their nakedness, you will be filled with disgrace instead of glory. You also drink and expose your uncircumcision or drink and, uh, and you will stagger. Their gross immorality. He says you brought so much shame and disgrace on other people. And, and we know the practices of the Babylonians didn't, in fact, was horribly shameful. 
and how they treated people. He says, it's coming back against... You know, there's a thing called yin and yang. It's kind of a Buddhistic, from a Buddhistic worldview. And, and God has that. But it, it, in, instead of an impersonal force, like we see in Hinduism, Buddhism, God says, hey, what goes around is going to come around. And it's not an impersonal force. It is a sovereign crea- creator of the universe who's going to bring justice. He says, um, verse 18, what use is a carved idol after its craftsman carves it? It is only a cast image, a teacher of lies. For the one who crafts its shape, trusts in it, makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, wake up, or to the mute stone, come alive, can it teach? Uh, idolatry. He's saying, yeah, you, you think your gods are, um, are going to be victorious, but they're not. They're just wood. Um, and he concludes by saying, verse 20. Now, here's the, here's the, is verse 20 Habakkuk speaking or is it God speaking? But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. I think that at verse 20, it shifts back to Habakkuk. And much like Job, remember, remember, remember what Job said at the end when God finally answers and says, Job, were you there when I created the world? Can you explain to me how, how lightning works and in other words, God just kind of told Job, you know, be sure to stay in your lane. And Job said, good enough for me. I have nothing more to say. And this is not, so many churches use this as worship. It would be silent in his presence. No, this has, not, this has, every man will be mute in the presence of of an eternally self-existent, sovereignly active, pure and holy God, that we will be rendered mute in his presence. In fact, turn with me to Psalm 11.4. Psalm The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord, his throne is in heaven. His eyes watch. His gaze examines everyone. When we say the Lord is in his holy temple, he's not sitting in a literal chair uh, with you know, servants fanning him in a, in a big building, completely oblivious to what's going on out there. That's not what... This, this is anthropomorphic. This is metaphorical. God is reigning, and he is watching, and he is involved. He's not just observing, he is sovereignly active in destining, and establishing, and tearing down, and judging, and raising up. When we say that God is in his holy temple, it is not that he is passive, it is that he is reigning in his world. This is his world. He is... When we say Jesus is Lord, what are we saying? Do we really mean that? Or has this world become God's Afghanistan? Man, this, this thing got out of control. Uh, now it's just, it's, it's, it's just spinning out of control. Uh, I'm going to have to get them to the airport to airlift them out of here. No. 
That's me how it feels sometimes. That's what our eyes see. That, that's what Habakkuk saw. How can that? The righteous will live by faith. Now, as I said, whenever we deal with Old Testament texts, especially in the Bible at all, but especially Old Testament texts, in terms of application, remember Han Robinson application, heresy of the Orthodox. We, we want to avoid uh, several extremes. One would be a this, this equals that. that. Babylon equals the United States. And Habakkuk equals me. And Judah equals Colorado. I don't know. You know, this, this alle- the more, you know, allegorical method. We want to avoid that. That's not appropriate interpretation. On the other hand, we don't want to just say, well, that, that is really interesting history. That's very insightful history. No, what we want to do is someone will say, okay, this was written for our instruction. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians. It's written for our instruction. So we might avoid their mistakes and we might learn as well. So what I'd like to do is is, is kind of, I think, a, a, a... a medium, a medial approach. The standpoint: What are the principles? And I get from this one central idea: the Lord has sovereign dominion over His world. We don't face empires anymore. We don't. We don't. We're not facing a Babylon. We're not facing this in Assyria. Thank God. I'd rather much. Would you would you rather live today than then? <laughs> Unless, of course, you live in Afghanistan. But 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 God is not having to, you know, tear down empires anymore. Mainly because the Scripture says that, in, to a large degree, Satan has been bound. He is no longer able to control the nations like he used to. But we can say that the Lord is sovereign dominion over his world. I mean, let's look at a couple passages and, and, and we'll, we'll eat. Look at Daniel chapter 4. Ezekiel, Daniel chapter 4. And I still have 35 minutes, so we're fine. Don't worry. Kim, it's going to be okay. Um, okay, Daniel chapter 4. But at the end of those days... 434, I'm sorry, 434. Daniel, the events of Daniel, did they come before or after the events of Habakkuk? Top quiz. After. Jamie, just whatever Mitch says, you just trust it. After. So this came after Habakkuk's prophecy and Habakkuk's day. At the end of those days, I, who... The king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Who is it that wiped out Judah? You can say it. Neb. Nebuchadnezzar did. Look at where he is now. I praise the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing as he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? Don't tell me it's not possible for Afghanistan to become a Christian nation someday. 
Nebuchadnezzar. Now, the big debate is, did, did, did he, was he saved? Was he like Balaam's ass in this? I'm sorry, Bob. Balaam's donkey. Um, was he like Balaam's donkey here? He was just a mouthpiece for God? Or did in, did, did in, 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 in however they did it back then, did he come to a, a saving knowledge of God, of Yahweh? We don't know. Looks me over at Daniel 7. Verse 9, I, I, as I kept watching, thrones were set in place. The Ancient of Days took his seat. And his clothing was white like snow, hair on his head white, white as wool. His throne was flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. river was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. Verse 11, I watched it because the sound of the arrogant words the horn was speaking. As I continued to watch, the beast was killed, his body destroyed. Verse 13, I continued watching the night visions and suddenly like one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. We see in Acts chapter 1 verse 9 when he ascended. What, what, how, did, where did, how did he ascend? Clouds. Now he comes. He's coming not to the earth. He's coming to the ancient of days. He's anthropomorphically. He's going up to the ancient of days. He approached the ancient of days and was escorted before him. He was, he was giving dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of Every people, nation, language should serve him. Do we believe that? His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. The nations of this world belong to him and he uses them for his purposes. And one day they will all serve him. Let's look at a couple more. Psalm 22. And again, these are just representative. Psalm 22. Verse 27. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. Not Satan. Not the devil. Him. Look at... Remember, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. The Lord's Prayer. What's part of the Lord's Prayer? Thank you, Charlene. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth, as it is in heaven. And God goes, it's never going to happen. <laughs> That's a neat prayer. But that will never happen. Is that what we're saying? When we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth, on earth, as it is in heaven. A bunch of hayseeds. Can't you see the world is getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse? This is his world. He's redeemed it. He's paid for it. (laughs) He created it. I've said this before. How about Matthew 28, 18 through 20? All authority. 
Heaven and earth has been granted to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I've commanded. Teaching who to obey all I've commanded you? Teach the nations. It, it, all it does is we've been able to publish, people have been able to publish a lot of books talking about it. Made a lot of money talking about it. But it's really not going to happen. Because things are getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Because this is not God's world. His world is up there somewhere. This is not his world. So that, that's what we're saying. Habakkuk came to realization you go back to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, Let's go back there. And and what what was a game changer for Habakkuk was chapter 2, verse 14. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. How does water cover the sea? (laughs) Completely. I don't see how that could possibly happen in history. Well, the righteous will live by their faith. Habakkuk, believe it. You don't see it now, but it will happen. What about us today? There's no no way for us to know temporally what we are in right now, how this will turn out or end up. We, 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 we as a country, I've said this, I've said this ad infinitum. We as a country may in fact suffer um, a, a, a continual and complete um, implosion. Will we believe the word of God? Not a problem for God. He'll raise up someone else. Do you know at one time, England was the missionary center of the world. Because I hear people say, well, God, well, God can't let the United States go because then we, we send out all the missionaries. What would happen to missionary work? Do you know England was the, was the, was the main sender of missionaries in the, that would be the 18th, well, primarily the 18th, 19th century. What, what, what is England today? They, they got tumbleweeds blowing through churches. So what did he do? He raised up us. He raised up the United States. What happens if the United States goes under? He'll raise up Iran or Tanzania. I mean, I don't think we have any idea what God is doing in the continent of Africa alone. I mean, you talk to Paul Tanner with Muslims. They can't keep they can't get enough pastors and leaders to to, to disciple and shepherd those who are responding. And trust me, there's no false professions. In a, in, in a Muslim world. The Lord has sovereign dominion over his world. The nations, Isaiah tells us, God says they're like a drop in the bucket. I control them. They belong to me. In fact, I have redeemed. I've, reconcil- I've been reconciled to this world. For God so loved, what? The world that he gave his one and only son. And by the way, that word so is in, in that manner. In this manner, God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Does that mean anything to us? The world? 
no way for us to know, guys, but regardless of what happens to the United States, we know that someday, because God is sovereign and his dominion extends to the whole world, that one day this world will, in fact, be discipled and observe all that we've told them. And as the Psalm 110, 1 Corinthians 15, 25 says, He will reign until all enemies are put under His feet. Then He will come. Then He will come gloriously and triumphantly. Not to rescue us out of a hellhole, but to be gloriously received as King and one who has authority and dominion over His world. That's what we raise our children to believe. Our grandchildren. May not see it in my lifetime. Dan, unless we live to be 500 years old, maybe we... But, but Habakkuk finally came to the realization that, that God has dominion over his world. The nations are his. And he does whatever he pleases. And we're going to see in chapter 3, if, 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 if I were to, and I know I'm running late, um, I guess it wasn't okay, Tim. Yeah. If I, email exchanges. Uh, Habakkuk emails God says, God, what are you doing? I, I'm, I, everything has gone to hell in a handbasket here and you're not doing anything. God says, okay, I'll do something. I'm going to bring the Babylonians and I'm going to, I'm going to judge Judah. Wait a minute. Well, how can you do that? That, that doesn't seem consistent with your nature to do something like that. And, and, and God says, wait a minute, I, I, the nations are mine. I will do with them as I please. And I, and I, I would say, uh, chapter 3, as a preview, Habakkuk finally says, got it. Got it. Good enough for me. And we will see in, chapter, in verses 17 through 19, probably the greatest statement of faith found in any of the Bible. I believe it. I got it. Guys, regardless of what we face, um, never, never doubt the fact that God is sovereign. God has dominion over the nations, over his entire world. This world is his. He's not abdicated it. Um, the earth is the Lord, Lord's and the fullness thereof. And uh, he does with it as he pleases. And there will be one day uh, when they will all flow and flock to him and give him the praise that is due him. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we, we, can, um, we can certainly uh, we certainly understand Habakkuk's impulse, especially today. Lord, help us to remember that while uh, uh, evil is certainly objective and it's real um, and you've come to defeat evil um, nevertheless there will be a day when evil will be fully consumed light will consume the darkness I, I refuse Father we refuse to re-empower a disempowered devil um, we refuse to abdicate or believe that your world has been abdicated uh, to darkness that will eventually extinguish the light. We do not believe the Bible teaches that. Father, help us to live lives that are courageous, lives that are faithful, 
where we believe by faith, where we proclaim the truth with confidence but with humility, where we live our lives where indeed you are Lord and you are King. And finally, Father, really, confession needs to start with your people. We confess the many forms of idolatry in our own lives. And may this be a time of purging, a time of cleansing in our own hearts. Lord, we thank you, we love you, we adore you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand?